morning, everyone. What fantastic worship we've enjoyed so far. You know, we were collecting food, and uh, that all happened because a small group said, we want us to do a service in our community. So they said, can we collect food for the Second Mile Food Bank? So that was the small group led by Larry and Beth Steves um, got together, and they were in that atrium for three weeks. We brought them a thousand pounds of food and a thousand dollars in donations. That's a value of $4,000 to feed the hungry. Just because one small group said, we wanna serve. So I'm so excited about our small groups that are serving all over the place throughout the year and especially during the holiday season. And you guys saw that announcement for Home Alone, right? I know there's a bunch of you that wanna be part of that. And if you want to be part, there's a meeting right after service at 12 o'clock upstairs. So you go to where the kids' area is, go up the steps, and it'll be along the hallway there, one of the classrooms. So that's right after church today. Well, I hope you've been enjoying the message series that we're in, The Stuff Jesus Said. And today, I would like to talk to you about the crazy stuff that Jesus said. Now, Jesus, please have a sense of humor with me for a second here this morning. One of the things that that Jesus said is this, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, that's him, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's weird. I I would sound more in place if Anthony Hopkins was saying it and starting with Clarice. I'm not going to go any further. I just don't want to be sacrilegious. But crazy talk. Jesus went around saying stuff like this all the time, saying, I'm God in human form. Can you imagine if you had a friend named Phil? And Phil said, hey, I have good news for you. I'm God in human form. I've come to save you. Put your faith in me. Trust me completely and follow me. And you'd say, Phil, that is some good news. And I want you to follow me as we go to the hospital to share with some lovely people all the good news that you're telling us today, Phil. And Jesus was just a Phil 2,000 years ago. And as he began to say these things that were very strange, People that had at first been drawn to the wisdom of his teachings, the Bible says from that time, after he said things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, a lot of people said, I'm not sure if I want to be his disciple anymore. And the crowds started to thin out. It's in John 6, 68. So even the Bible seems to be saying, hey, guys, I get it. It's not all that easy to truly 100% believe in Jesus, especially with some of the strange stuff that he said. But the problem that we have is he said so much amazing stuff. It's hard to get away from him. Like if you are in business, the business world today, and you want to know the greatest leadership principles ever, and you want to do collaborative leadership, and you want to invest in the people below you, uh, you're going to do servant leadership. Oh, you're just doing the leadership the way Jesus said to do it. The greatest among you will be the servant of them all. And if you need recovery from addiction, you're going to work these 12 steps, and they talk about forgiving others and reaching out to a higher power, and you're just following 12 steps that were pulled from Jesus' teaching. 
So even if you have trouble believing some of the strange things that Jesus said, some of the audacious things that he said, you can't get away from the stuff he said. It's everywhere. Some of the very best things in world history, some of the things that are best about the world today, they come from Jesus. He underlies today's values. But would you like to be able to believe in him completely today? I mean, like, really, just be honest. Do you believe in him completely or not? What if you could? So let me give you four strange reasons why you can believe every strange thing Jesus said. The first reason is sorcery. Amen? No, okay. Um, Conspiracies. The third reason is atheists, and the fourth reason is cursing. Now, you have not heard this sermon before, have you? It's not like the four Ps of uh, following Jesus, passion, purpose, plan, you know, no, no. Today, I'd like to start with sorcery. Bear with me a little bit here. (laughs) Jesus was a Jew. And if there's one thing that Jews had gotten settled in their history at his time is that they were going to only serve one God. And they were ready to do it at any cost whatsoever. So when Jesus shows up, your local Phil, and says to a man who's paralyzed, I forgive your sins. The Jews go, no one can forgive sins except God alone. Who do you think you are? Jesus said, well, I don't know. What's easier, to say I forgive your sins or to say rise up and walk? And they rose up, the man rose up and walked. Jesus was challenging the Jewish conception of God right at its core. While a large amount of the people, his fellow Jews, did choose to believe in him, the majority chose not to. And their version of events, which was passed along orally for a few years, was written down shortly after the close of the New Testament in what's called the Mishnah, which is an authoritative Jewish tradition. It's part of Judaism today. This is the official debunking of Jesus. This is the real story behind the Jesus of faith told by people that knew him and said, no, 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 you don't need to believe in this guy. Let us tell you the real story. So let's put it up here. It has been taught on the eve of the Passover that Yeshu, that's the Aramaic for Jesus, was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, he's going forth to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and he enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the Passover, eve of the Passover. Let's go back one slide. Check this out. This is the we don't believe in Jesus official document from the ancient world. First thing is, there was a Jesus. Did you know there's no atheist, anti-Christian historian that studies Jesus that would ever tell you that he never existed? Because all Jesus' enemies and people that observed him, they wrote about him. He definitely existed. He definitely died on a cross in AD 30 or 33. Execution. And why did he die? For sorcery. 
Now, in our world today, we would think, well, Jesus died, um, I don't know, they didn't like what he was saying. And, and we might say, you know, the official version is Jesus never did anything miraculous. No, no, no. His enemies say he did sorcery. Because it was totally undeniable the impact that Jesus had made on the world at the time. There were people around that had been healed by him. Huge crowds had seen miracles. You don't feed 5,000 people food and nobody remembers. And so the option to say Jesus never did miracles was not historically available to his enemies. The only thing they could do is say, oh yeah, he did miracles, but it was from an evil power. And that sounds so familiar to the Gospels, doesn't it? You're driving out Satan by Satan. And Jesus said, no, I'm not. I'm driving them out by the finger of God. On the next page here, oh, apostasy. The other thing is, do you know what apostasy is? It means you're leaving your religion. You're totally leaving your religion. So again, this proves that Jesus wasn't coming and just saying a few mundane, love your neighbor type things. He was saying, I am going to radically change your conception of God. And that's in the apostasy. And on the next page here, it says he was hanged, and we know from a cross, on the eve of the Passover. And so even the details about when it happened are corroborated by the unbelieving official version of who Jesus was. Isn't that amazing? Now, the second reason that you should believe in Jesus is because of conspiracies. There are so many far-fetched conspiracies on the internet today, it is unreal. But conspiracy thinking has been around for quite a while. It was actually applied to Jesus by some of the great thinkers of our culture from about 1850 to 1970. And what they said is, you know what? The Jesus you read about in the Gospels, that's the conspiracy Jesus. Because that's the Jesus that was kind of made up. The one that's real, we're going to dig in and find who he is. Because we don't think that he did miracles. We certainly don't think he rose from the dead. We certainly don't think he's the only way to salvation. And we're going to debunk the Jesus in the Gospels and give you the simple Jewish teacher. Not paying much attention to what we just saw, obviously. The problem with it is that people began to dig stuff up in the Middle East over the last 150 years. And so they dig up manuscripts of the New Testament that were dated within maybe 20, 30 years from the time that they were written, from AD 50, AD 60, AD 70. And what they found is that the manuscripts in the New Testament said what older manuscripts in the New Testament always said. There had been no embellishment of the story, no making Jesus bigger with every successive generation of recopying the New Testament and passing it around. It had stayed the same. And then they dug up an inscription about a Roman governor uh, that was in Greece. His name was Gallio. And it's an inscription from the Caesar at the time saying, hey, how you doing, Gallio? Let's get things going at your, in your province. And it was dated A.D. 52. Well, when you're reading Acts, Paul, the apostle, appears before Gallio. So now we know exactly what year he appeared for him. And then Acts tells you when he wrote all these letters. And all of a sudden, you can date most of Paul's letters very accurately. And you know what? Paul was preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion, he was saying, guys, I'm preaching what everyone's always been preaching, what was handed on to me. 
that, on, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And on the third day, he was ro- risen from the dead, and he was seen by more than 500 witnesses, most of whom are still alive today, if you'd like to talk to them about it. So there was no development of a Jesus that was supernatural out of a little teacher guy. There was no blowing up of Jesus to make him some Hercules when he'd just been some ordinary guy. He never was ordinary. From the first moment that Christians began to witness to Jesus Christ, they said, he's alive. Now, if someone is a lying witness, you can test the lie. We wouldn't test it this severely, but back then it was great. Oh, you believe Jesus was alive? Great, we're going to kill you if you think that. Let me read to you something from the Roman historian Tacitus, and uh, he was no believer of any sort. He wrote that about 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, that Christians in Rome were dying for their faith in droves. Among them were Peter and Paul, and this is what happened to these Christians. Mockery of every sort was added to their death. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. So let me ask you a question. Does this sound like a powerful and established church trying to cover up the truth about Jesus for their gain, the conspiracy theory, Or does it sound like a church led by original witnesses to the resurrection who are ready to give up their lives for something they knew to be true? In the last 20 years, this idea of Jesus, his resurrection, and his claims to divinity, the idea of that being a legend, has been completely demolished at the very schools and universities where they were first proposed in the 1850s. In Cambridge, Richard Bauckham has discredited it. The Canadian Larry Hurtado, if you're a geek, just Google these names. He has discredited it. In Germany, at the Tübingen School of Theology, where many of these ideas came from, Martin Hengel has completely discredited these attacks. They have shown conclusively that there never was a time in history where Christians were preaching a Jesus other than the Jesus you see in the New Testament. And so even though on the internet, you can still find people saying that Jesus is a legend, you can't really believe in its embellishment, the thing is, they're behind the times. They're still spinning a theory that's been completely disproven. Now, atheist is my third reason that you can believe everything that Jesus said. And I I feel bad for atheists these days. I mean, it's a hard job. All these facts are piling up against you. You gotta have a lot of faith to be an atheist today. And you know, I like atheists. They're so bold. They're like, I do not believe in God. Not like an agnostic, well, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure if I believe in God. Maybe, yes, no, I don't know. No, an atheist says, I believe that there is no God, that this is all there is, and really, there is no ultimate meaning to life other than what you make of it. Man, those guys are tough. But, you know, even if you think this is all there is, is this life, you still got to live it, right? 
So atheists put together a way of thinking called secular humanism. And they took a whole bunch of values and put them together and said, if we love one another, if we respect one another, if we live our lives to the full, that's what living should be about. Where did they get these values from? Well, every time you're in Sunday school and you don't know the answer to the question, just say Jesus. (laughs) They got them from Jesus. Most of these values are like Jesus. Now, imagine, imagine that you had yourself a electric powered car, okay? You don't want to get hit by your carbon tax. You want to have your electric powered car because you're a person of the future. And you said, you know, the only thing I don't like about this lovely electric, uh, electric car is the battery. Why don't we just pull the battery out? We'll put that over here. And then I can have stuff to put my junk in, you know? A little of that, a little of that. Put my, maybe I'll put my scraper in there where the battery used to go. How well is that car going to go? Unless you're Fred Flintstone, it's not going anywhere. And that's exactly what has happened. They took the teachings of Jesus and they pulled Jesus out of it. My friends, you can't get very far with the principles of Jesus unless you know the person of Jesus and his power is enabling you to be more than what a human being is supposed to be. And so Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. That's how you live out your values. You get empowered by Jesus. Now the fourth reason, strange reason to believe in Jesus is cursing. You've never heard this before unless you heard me talk about it once at CR. But anyway, um, Jesus has the distinction of being the most widely used curse word in the whole world. This is strange. We don't use other religious figures as curse words, do we? You don't stub your toe and go, son of a Buddha. (laughs) And when someone ticks you off, you don't burst out, Confucius! (laughs) And you would never think about using Muhammad in a disrespectful tone. Try that in certain parts of the world and tell me how your travels went. (laughs) But how offensive is it that while you're almost a little uncomfortable with what I said in jest, in reality, the name of Jesus Christ is used in combination with the dirtiest words that language supplies as a curse. I mean, I, I sort of get it. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're trying to make fun of it. Or maybe you do sort of believe in Jesus, but you're disappointed that he hasn't come through for you in a certain way, and so you're bitter. I kind of get it. But follow my line of thinking for a second. What if the power of Jesus is real? And what if the power of evil is real? How much of a victory would it be for the power of evil if it could convince us to use the name of Jesus Christ as a curse word, to curse the name of the only one who can save us? But the love of Jesus goes even beyond this insult 
For the Bible says that he became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 3, 13. It says that he took all of our evil, all of our anger and bitterness and betrayal upon himself on the cross, that he suffered for our sins, that he beat sin once and for all. And then he rose again with new life, able to offer it to anyone who would believe in him. See, these are four strange reasons to believe all the stuff that Jesus said. They come from all the reasons that people give for not believing. They come from the early denial of Christ by a portion of his people saying a story that confirming a story that he did do miraculous things, that he was calling them to a new and beautiful conception of God. The conspiracy theory has been debunked, my friends. Right from the start, Jesus has always been exactly the Jesus you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament. The early Christians from day one were giving up their lives, saying, I saw Jesus alive, so you threatening me with death does nothing. And atheists, we already have seen it, living out a secular life, putting together secular values, taking the framework of Jesus and then throwing in your own philosophy, little bits of religion and psychology, in the end becomes an empty experiment because you do not have the power and the peace and the hope and the love of Jesus in your heart. There is no power to make that car go anywhere. And the cursing, man, we need to cry out to the name of Jesus. Not curse it. And there's one other reason that we should believe in everything that Jesus said. And it's not a strange reason at all like those first four. It's the words themselves. Jesus actually made a promise. He said, if you're willing to seek the truth, and then once you find the truth, you're willing at all costs to respond to the truth, then you'll know if what I said is true or not. And here it is. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Friends, it's time to get first-hand information about Jesus. It's time to open the word of God and read those gospels. And read it for yourself. You don't need secondhand information. You don't need to get stuck on someone's internet feed that's skewing you in some way. You need to open the word of God, and say, speak to me, Lord. If you're real, show me. And what will leap off those pages is an incredible love permeating through every word that Jesus said, an incredible power, a sense of his own authority, a sense of sacrifice 
The words that, you get, that he gives you are wisdom that can be applied to every area of life. You won't be disappointed at all. And the other thing is those words will begin to leap off the page as the Lord speaks to you personally. For the Jesus that it is written about is alive today and his spirit will confirm what you're reading. Man, Jesus, he, he doesn't pull any punches. He said, hey, you know everything that came before me in the world? Well, I'm the culmination. I mean, he came to the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, and said, everything that's been going on in this wonderful revelation of who God is, I'm the fulfillment. And everything that's been going on in the world in the mixed bag of, of natural revelation of who God is that we see reflected in other religions, I am the fulfillment of it. And there's nothing mixed about me at all. It's all truth. He was so audacious that he got himself crucified because it was politically incorrect then to claim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and it is politically incorrect now. Nothing has changed. But this is the exclusive inclusivity of Jesus. He says there's no other way to the Father except through me, and I invite every single one of you to respond to me. Every single one. We're going to have communion in a second. You know, when you sit down and you have a meal with people, it says, I'm part of the family. I belong. Communion is our meal where we celebrate Jesus, we remember what he said, where we take him into our hearts in faith. I want you to know that you belong today at that meal. You see, most people's problems with Jesus are fronting as intellectual problems. And what they actually have is they actually have a problem thinking that Jesus can be real for them that he really cares. I heard a woman speak eight days ago at the Buckingham Leadership Institute, and she's been a Christian for 11 years, and she's leading a dynamic new church plant in Truro, Nova Scotia, my hometown. And she talks about 11 years ago when as an unwed mother, she stepped in to a little church that was hosting Alpha. And she said, the people just welcomed me. They made me instantly feel like this was for me. They didn't judge me. They just brought me to know who Jesus was. And she said, I just couldn't believe it, but I, I wondered if I could belong. And they said, yes, you can belong. And I want to say to you this morning, no matter where you are at, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what standards you meet or don't meet, today you can belong to Jesus. He can become real in your life. And so I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward to begin distribution of the elements. We're gonna sing a little bit about the name of Jesus. But I wanna invite you to take communion with us today. Take communion as your act of faith, 
saying, I do want to belong to you, Jesus. I do want to take you into my life. Man, if you're watching online, go get some bread out of the fridge or off the counter, cut it up, pour some juice, apple juice, whatever you got, put it in a cup and participate with us. And nobody should take communion without saying, I want you in my life, Jesus, and I'm giving you my life. But today is your opportunity to gather around the table and, and belong to this amazing Jesus. So amazing, it seems crazy, but I gotta tell you, Jesus is crazy amazing. And he's gonna light your life up with his life and his power and his spirit. Oh man, I hope you take communion this morning. I hope you give your life to Jesus 100%. Let's worship the Lord.